DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents Praying with Scripture, Christian Contemplation and Meditation in the Ignatian Tradition, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University, and he has dedicated many years to an extensive ministry of retreats, spiritual direction, and teaching about the spiritual life. Father Gallagher is the author of seven books published by the Crossroad Publishing Company on the spiritual teaching of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Father Gallagher is featured on the EWTN series, Living the Discerning Life. Praying with Scripture, Christian Contemplation and Meditation in the Ignatian Tradition with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Father Gallagher. Thanks so much, Chris. Meditation and contemplation, a fascinating discussion that we began in our last episode. And there's still more to really comprehend, isn't there, about the differences between the two? Well, the difference itself is very, I'd say, I was going to say simple. It has the simplicity of profound things. And that is that when we meditate, we are reflecting on the meaning of the words of Scripture. What does blessed are the poor in spirit mean, for example. And then when we contemplate, we are imaginatively entering into and living from within imaginatively a gospel event. So the storm at sea, for example, I'm there in the boat. I think what we, what helps to get a deeper sense of what these two methods mean, so to get it off of the abstract concept and understanding and into real experience in life, is to look at some examples of people actually using these methods. And so I'd like to quote actually just two sentences from one of St. John Chrysostom's homilies on the Gospel of Matthew. St. John Chrysostom is well worth getting to know, a bishop of Constantinople in the 4th and early 5th century. His name Chrysostom uh, means literally golden mouth. He was one of the greatest preachers in the history of our church, almost a martyr. For his courageous stand at times against the emperor, he was exiled on several occasions, and finally, in advanced age, exiled a final time, forced marched in a way that uh, inevitably led to his death, as it did. But a marvel of anything he's written is well worth reading. Now, these are just two sentences, and this is just a segment of his commentary on the calming of the storm at sea in Matthew chapter 8. What I'd like to do is look at St. John's commentary on just four words in that passage of the coming of the storm at sea, but he was asleep. So St. John Chrysostom is exploring that detail in the coming of the storm at sea. The storm is raging, the boat is being swamped, it's at the point of going under, the disciples are terrified, and Jesus is sleeping. And St. John Chrysostom says, therefore also he sleeps. For had he been awake when it happened, Either they would not have feared, or they would not have besought him, or they would not so much have thought of his being able to do any such thing. Three things that St. John Chrysostom sees there. And then his second sentence, Therefore he sleeps to give occasion for their timidity and to make their perception of what was happening more distinct. Now, as I read that, it's uh, evident that what St. John Chrysostom is really commenting on here is those times in our lives, when we are struggling, when there are storms, when we feel as though the storm 
is about to overwhelm us and we cry out to the Lord in prayer and it seems that the Lord is sleeping, that the Lord is not answering. And we've all been through situations of that kind. That's really what's the, ba- that's the backdrop of what St. John Chrysostom is reflecting on here. And as he does that, he looks at three different things. If, if Jesus had not slept on that occasion, they would never have feared. They would have never gone through that experience of feeling just about overwhelmed crying out to him, and of course, Jesus does calm the storm, which begins to shed a light, perhaps, as I'm praying today, let's say, with this gospel, on storms in my own life, things that I'm afraid of that seem overwhelming. As I'm praying with this gospel, and it it opens up for me in this way, as I pray like John Chrysostom with it, I begin to hear the word of God speaking to the situations that seem overwhelming in my own life. Or he says they would not have besought him, Had they not been in that situation of overwhelming need while Jesus sleeps, they would have never made that anguished, terrified prayer to him, which, when it's answered, revolutionizes things in their life. And we all know, as we look back over our lives, that when we have prayed like that to the Lord, and perhaps in ways that we would have never guessed, the Lord does answer those prayers in his own time and in his own way. Generally, we see it at some distance when we look back. We know that those times are times that bring us in a unique way, I would almost say, closer to the Lord. And so the Lord sleeps, so he permits those times in our lives. And finally, St. John says, if they had not gone through that experience, the storm and Jesus asleep, they would not so much have thought of his being able to do any such thing. They would have never known that he had power to calm with a word the wind and the waves, that if we had not gone through such experiences in our own lives, we would never grow in a kind of rock-solid confidence that beyond all the storms of life, there is the Lord who has power to see us safely through. And though I walk in a dark valley, I fear no evil. You are with me. So says St. John Chrysostom, therefore he sleeps. To give occasion for their timidity, he calls them to go through that situation of fear and to make their perception of what was happening more distinct. They'll never forget it. They'll never forget the experience, and what they have learned of Jesus through that. Now, as we go through that and look at that in the light of the two methods that St. Ignatius describes, reflecting on the words, the meaning of the words of a scripture, or imagining from within the scene, it's evident that this is the meditative approach. That's really what St. John Chrysostom is doing. He is meditating, reflecting, pondering on the meaning of, of, in this case, just four words. Why does Jesus sleep? What's he doing in the life of his disciples when he causes them to go through a storm and is asleep and doesn't immediately answer their prayer? I think we can see that, that this is a a beautiful, marvelous reflecting on the word of God. It's it's, as I said last time, it's a, a gateway, a portal into the power of the word of God. And what happens as John Chrysostom reflects on this, or as we do it in our own personal prayer, is the word begins to speak to our own heart. Obviously, this reflection is a reflection on the word that is speaking to experiences in my own life, in my own heart, and begins to give me new hope, new energy, new clarity, a deeper sense of where the Lord is in my life. Now, the way St. Ignatius, in his spiritual exercises, describes meditation, the process that we've just watched St. John Chrysostom do, and which we all do, I think, um, fairly spontaneously when we pray with Scripture, the, the way St. Ignatius describes this is in three steps. He says, I call to mind this truth. 
And so I call to mind, maybe by reading it, this, these words in the scripture, but he was asleep. I ponder it with love. And like John Chrysostom, I explore the meaning of it. Why is it, Jesus, that you sleep when your disciples are in the midst of a life-threatening storm? I ponder it with love. And as I ponder it and enter more deeply into the meaning of it, my heart awakens. And then I embrace it, he says, with love and desire. So that's the process of meditation. We call to mind the scripture. We ponder the meaning of the words. And then our heart opens up in some way to embrace, to desire, to ask for, to be grateful for the meaning, the gift, and the power that is contained in that particular word in the scripture. Now, obviously, those three steps, calling to mind, pondering, and embracing, they're cyclical. You know, I'll call it to mind. I'll be pondering. My heart will open up. I go back to the words. Maybe the pondering becomes deeper. This will just be a deepening process as we go through the prayer. Now, let's watch another figure, spiritual figure, pray with that same passage of the calming of the storm at sea. And this is from the book by Jesuit Bishop Alban Goodyear, English Jesuit, who was Archbishop of what was then called Bombay in India for a number of years, and has written a number of books which are really books of prayer on gospel events following the method of St. Ignatius. This particular book is called The Public Life of Jesus. They're very nice books that, um, that he's written. And so he, he says this, this is Matthew 8, this, the coming of the storm. He, Jesus, was with his 12 in the cottage by the shore. As, as Bishop Goodyear uh, imagines this scene, it's in the evening, and he sees it that way because the preceding passages in the gospel leading up to this particular passage show Jesus in the midst of crowds and working many healings and teaching. And now, as, as he sees it, the day is spent, night is falling, the crowds are subsiding. And Jesus is there with the twelve in the cottage by the shore. In the streets outside and along the water's edge, many of the people still hung about, squatting in their little groups and discussing far into the night the events of the day. And so he sees around the Lord Jesus in the cottage with his disciples, the small groups of those who have remained. There's so much to discuss. They've seen amazing things in the course of that day. Of that day. Some of them just won't leave, but they still remain there. Um, needing to share with each other what's happened. Others had settled down to rest here and there, wrapped from head to foot in their blanket. Now, I think, I'll just stop right here, I think it's already evident that of these two methods, meditation, reflection on the words, and contemplation, imaginative entrance into the scene, it's evident that Bishop Goodyear is using the contemplative method here. He, his imagination is alive, and within the scene, he sees Jesus, he sees the small groups, he sees the nightfall, the shore, the cottage. And now he begins to um, enter into the sentiments in Jesus' heart. He must get away, if only for a night and a morning. The old desire to be alone at times was never long absent from him. He must get away and give himself a few hours of peace. He turned to the fishermen, he looked toward the lake, the moon was up, there was a gentle ripple on the water. And then he quotes, here's Jesus saying the, the words we have in the gospel. Let us go over the water, he said, to the other side of the lake. And then he says, it was evidently a quiet hour when the little boat put out. The storm comes later. At the setting out, everything is peaceful. 
As it left the shore, the lamp swung at its prow, its light reflected on the water. And I've always loved that little detail. It's remarkable that Bishop Goodyear is so imaginatively engaged in this gospel event that he even sees as the boat leaves the shore uh, a, a lamp hung at the, the bow of the boat, and he sees the reflections of its light on the water as the boat moves away from the shore. I think you can see that when a person is this imaginatively engaged, the person is really entering into the Word of God through the different portal this time of the imagination, that marvelous faculty God has given us, to be able to be present to things that are not physically there before us, as we said last time. From behind them as they rode, a few lights glimmered, marking the long line of habitations from Bethsaida to Capernaum and beyond. And that's another lovely thing. Um, if we've ever done this in a boat at night, you turn around as the boat is moving away from the shore and the distance between the boat and the shore grows larger. You turn around and you see the shoreline emerging and you see the lights of the shoreline behind you. Again, it's evident that Bishop Goodyear is deeply engaged with the scripture. And not only uh, hearing, but also listening. Here and there, a dog barked, one answering another. Occasionally, a cock crowed, and another replied, a striking feature of an Eastern night. For the rest, all was silence, a silence only the more emphasized by these cries. The boatmen submitted to the spell. They went about their work saying nothing. If they had to speak, they spoke in low whispers. As soon as they had got away, they put up their little sail. He watches all of this happen, and nothing now was heard but the swish of the water around the vessel, the creak of the mast as the sail yielded to the wind or the guiding rope. In the stern, on the boards between the side of the ship, Jesus lay down. A rough cushion had been found for his head, and almost immediately he was fast asleep. So here is a different approach to praying with this same gospel. And again, I think as we go through Bishop Goodyear's imaginative engagement with this text, we can see the power in this. My guess would be that for most of us, the meditative approach, perhaps without that word, has long been familiar to us, reflection on the meaning of words in Scripture. And it may be that the imaginative approach is something newer for us. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to discover that very solidly rooted in centuries of our Catholic tradition is another way of praying with Scripture through the imaginative engagement that we've just seen exercised in Bishop Goodyear. Now, when Ignatius describes what he means by contemplation, he also gives three, let's call them steps, to describe this process. And they're very simple. He says, I see the persons, Jesus, the apostles in the boat, I hear the words, let us go over to the other side, Jesus tells them, or later their terrified cry, save us, Lord, we're perishing in his response. Why were you afraid? Men of little faith. Uh, I hear the words that are part of the text, and I observe the actions. I see the persons, hear the words, and observe the actions. And we do this almost as though if we were watching one of the movies of the life of Jesus, let's say Jesus of Nazareth or uh, a number of very fine movies that have been done, and it were playing on the screen in front of us, let's say it's playing on the wall uh, before us, if we could walk right into that movie so that we're there, we're mingling with the people, we're hearing the sounds, we're observing the actions, 
and we're part of it. We're In this case, we're right there on the boat, in the boat with the disciples. We're one of them, and we're living this. We, we feel the wind begin to pick up, and the waves begin to crash against the boat. We feel the first st- stirrings of fear in our hearts as we see also a similar fear awaken in the hearts of the disciples. We turn instinctively toward Jesus. We see him asleep. We're afraid to disturb him as this is just beginning. We hear the wind grow stronger, uh, watch the, and feel the rocking motion of the boat and the waves pouring into it. With the disciples, our own fear is growing. Again, we look to Jesus. He's still asleep. That's the imaginative engagement, which is contemplation through seeing the persons, hearing the words, and observing the actions. Now, as we do that, ultimately, contemplation is going to lead to the same place that meditation does. Both lead to the heart. Something in my heart is going to be touched. This experience that I'm now living, imaginatively sharing, I'm there and part of it, is going to speak to different things in my own life. Maybe today I have a meeting at work that I've been afraid of because it's going to be difficult. And this morning as I'm praying with the storm at sea and I'm there in the boat with them, I find myself crying out to Jesus in my own storm, large and small in my life. And I hear his answer to them and to me, why are you afraid? Just have faith. And I watch his effortless power as he calms with the word, the wind and the sea. And something in my heart warms and opens. The anxiety, maybe just for a moment, lessens. And somewhere in my heart, I will know that the Lord will be with me as this day unfolds. This is where we so often say of prayer, we describe it as heart speaking to heart. That's the deep point in the prayer. Let's look at another example now. And I'm going to take this from an interview that I did with a person whom I'll call Mark and who has given me full permission to share his experience. And Mark, at the point in which we were speaking, had been praying for about a year with Scripture. It was new for him to try to pray roughly daily with Scripture. And this particular day, he was praying with John chapter 10, where Jesus speaks of himself as the Good Shepherd. And Mark says this, It was a beautiful time of prayer, an intimate time. There was so much in the words, it's so beautifully written. I wasn't reading words. It was alive, almost directly touching my heart. That's why I always say this is the deep point, almost directly touching my heart. I had read this text many times, and it hadn't really spoken to me. The words had just lain there on the page for some reason, and some reason, this is grace. This is this is where when we open ourselves to the Word of God, we walk through that gateway, that portal of contemplation or meditation. Where in Ignatius terms, we dispose ourselves, we open ourselves to hear God's word, then God, in his own providence, will enter into that process and fill it with his grace. This is what, what Mark is describing in very simple language. For some reason, this time, for some reason, it's God's grace at work. This time I had a deep sense of Christ, of awe, of the Good Shepherd easing my fears and leading me. This time of prayer, he says, was more meditative and not so much in the imagination. Obviously, Mark is aware of the distinction between meditation and contemplation, and he knows that this is more meditative. I let those beautiful words sort of swim in my heart back and forth. And when I heard him say that, I thought to myself, that's about as good a description, almost definition of meditation as we'll ever find. I let those beautiful words 
sort of swim in my heart back and forth. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. The hireling, when he sees the wolf coming, runs. But the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. I let those beautiful words sort of swim in my heart back and forth. The prayer left me spiritually happy. In Ignatian terms, God fills his prayer with spiritual consolation. For about a day and a half, I couldn't stop thinking about those words. I used them in some teaching. This was catechism he was teaching in his parish. I used them in some teaching I was doing, and I knew that it wasn't just teaching. I was teaching from the heart, from experience. If we decide in the ways that are compatible with the duties of our various vocations, if we decide to spend some time, and I'll say daily, five minutes if that's what I can get, 10 minutes, 20, half an hour, at least several days of the week if others are not possible, if we spend time praying with the Word of God, then what Mark experiences is going to happen in our life. On another occasion, Mark might teach and do his best, and uh, but on this occasion when he teaches, it's not just teaching, as he says. He's teaching from the heart, from experience. He'll be speaking of something that he has experienced in living communion with the Lord and the living Holy Spirit through his prayer with Scripture. And that's what will start to happen in our lives if we pray with Scripture. I think it's evident, Chris, as we're speaking, that that's where all of this is leading. The invitation to find daily time, or as close as we can to daily time, a few minutes or whatever we can, to pray with the Word of God. Let's move to one more example. And this is from um, a woman named Catherine, who actually wound up writing a book about this experience, and it's a very fine book. When she was 21, she was healthy, intelligent, alive, and she went into the hospital for what was supposed to be a simple outpatient surgery, and in the immediate aftermath of that, suffered a stroke, and she was largely paralyzed for a time, a lot of memory loss, and there was a long rehabilitation with a lot of emotional swings and understandably a lot of ups and downs in many ways in her life over the next 17 years. So that when she um, experiences the prayer that she describes here, she's now 38. It's 17 years later. In fact, she later wrote a book about this whole experience, which uh, a lot of people really like, entitled Surviving Depression, a Catholic Approach, Catherine Hermes. And at this particular point, she's making an Ignatian-style retreat, which means that over the course of several days, she's praying several times a day with a scripture. And she found herself wanting to pray with the passion of Jesus, his passion, death, and resurrection in the Gospel of John. And so she says, immediately upon beginning the retreat, I found myself desiring to pray with the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus in the Gospel of John. That already makes an interesting point. If we find ourselves, when we think of praying with scripture, wanting, desiring, inclined, or attracted towards certain passages in the scripture, a particular psalm or a passage in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, letter in the letters of St. Paul, whatever it might be, it's spiritually, it's good to be attentive to those attractions and to follow them. Um, much may open up for us as we pray with texts that are already attractive to us. 
something in those texts. Maybe we're at Sunday Mass and a reading is read and we're really attentive this day and something in the reading strikes my heart. That might be a text to pray with later that day or the next morning or the next time that I pray. Now, Catherine does this. She finds herself desiring to pray with the passion and resurrection of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and that's what she does throughout her retreat. I saw Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate and his accusers. Now, that already tells us which method she's using. I saw Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate and his accusers. She's using the contemplative method. She's entering imaginatively into the scene, and she's there. She sees Jesus in the moment when he stands before Pontius Pilate and those who are accusing him. How could Jesus stand there while everyone called for his death, I wondered? How could he be so calm? And this is just beautiful. We're on holy ground again here. This is, this is what will happen as we imaginatively contemplate. What we see begins to speak deep within us. How can he stand there with such calm when people are crying out and shouting out around him for his death? And he stands there silently. As I placed myself completely into that scene, which is a beautiful description of contemplation, feeling Jesus' calmness, I began to hear, so she's seeing and she's hearing imaginatively, I began to hear Jesus saying quietly to the crowd, yes, take me. Do what you want with me, for my death will be your salvation. Now, the words that Catherine hears Jesus say are not words that we find literally with those exact words in the scriptures, but they are words which exactly reflect words that Jesus does say within the scriptures, as in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down freely of my own accord. Or in John 13 at the beginning, where Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the end. And Catherine knows as she prays with this text that she has the freedom to hear Jesus say what we know deeply from the scriptures is in his heart, but said in a personal way that speaks to her. Father Gallagher, such a compelling teaching for all of us to really take in and begin to practice. I just wish we had more time. Well, we'll get back to this and, and uh, continue with Catherine's experience and beyond when we meet again. Any suggestions for us in the meantime as we're waiting for that opportunity? The simplest suggestion is to actually start. That's how we are going to learn to pray is by actually beginning and doing it. And my hope is that as we continue these conversations, we'll be able to speak very concretely to many practical issues that surround this. What scripture should I choose? Um, how do I actually begin the prayer? What if I find myself distracted? And so on. We'll be talking about a lot of those questions. But nothing can replace actually beginning and trying it ourselves. And the God who tells us to ask also promises that we will receive. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Praying with Scripture, Christian Contemplation and Meditation in the Ignatian Tradition with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will 
First, pray for our mission. And, if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our mission. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Praying with Scripture, Christian Contemplation and Meditation in the Ignatian Tradition with Father Timothy Gallagher.